Greetings, dear listener, and welcome to Natural 20-somethings, an audio program detailing and discussing the danger, depth, difficulties, diversions, dice, decadence, and drama of D&D. We're ever so pleased you're here. Hello and welcome to Natural 20-somethings. I'm Olivia. And I'm Laurel. And this week we are talking about failure. D&D kind, not real life kind. That's too real, too real. No no real life failure here. <laughs> real life. Boo. D&D. Yay. <laughs> we wanted to talk about this in particular because failure is built into the actual game itself and it is absolutely crucial for how D&D runs and how we play it. So uh, we wanted to figure out how to make it fun. Uh, so to start us off, we have a an excerpt from the DM's workshop. And the article is called uh, Dungeon Mastering 101, Falling Forward. Failing Forward. Okay, so Failing Forward. uh, There you go. By the Archmage. They say, Inherent to any system that involves random chance is the possibility of failure. It is no different in Dungeons & Dragons. Dungeon Masters must frequently contend with situations where the player characters are unable to surmount the challenges before them. The best adventures are ones that let players fail and which turn that failure into new opportunities. Failing forward is about putting the narrative first, for good or bad. It assures that the actions of the characters always have meaning and that the story is based on them. While not everything has to be prevented or caused by the characters, failing forward means that none of their own actions are inconsequential. So, with that beautiful sentiment, <laughs> um, Laurel, what do you think makes failure frustrating as a player? I This is such a great question and also such a great article that I, I can't recommend dungeon masters read enough honestly like reading it i was like oh my gosh my eyes have been opened to the truth (laughs) like one of the things in this article that i found particularly interesting which i will circle back to your question this is part of the answer i promise (laughs) is this idea of like why are you putting obstacles in front of your players if it doesn't matter what they decide to do in the end like why is the door locked Is it just to give them a problem to solve or will there be an actual consequence for them choosing not to open the door or failing to open the door or opening the door in a different way? It's like it is is asking this question of ultimately what is the purpose of, of the decision to put an option to fail into the game at all and I think for me as a player I think there are there are two sides to failure and they they play into that there's this idea of like failure is frustrating when I fail and it doesn't mean anything Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it's it's incredibly frustrating as a player to be like well you know you roll the one but who cares like and it and it doesn't affect anything and nothing changes and the story proceeds uh as it is supposed to it is likewise on the other side of it incredibly frustrating as a player to fail constantly and feel like you're not getting anywhere so there's this really delicate line that you have to walk in between these two things of failures have consequences and those consequences are meaningful and you're not always going to fail there is some sort of a safety blanket there like I and I genuinely walking that line is so challenging as a player and as a DM but I think it goes both ways for me it is frustrating as a player to fail when it doesn't mean anything and it's frustrating to fail constantly because it means too much that's interesting I think again 
part of D&D built into the game itself is the option for failure. Nat 20s are automatic successes. Nat 1s are automatic failures. And I really jive with this idea of failing forward because, and like not everybody will. Some people disagree. One of my very close friends really likes, you know, like Nat 1 tables and, you know, it raises the stakes to have failure be a stopping point, a sort of like brick wall that you run into. That is a possibility. I don't tend to jive with that quite as much (laughs) because again I think it's all about where are you getting enjoyment out of the game for me it's the game as a narrative that I can play in but it's also like I like failing forward because it means that there's more than one solution to the problem that has made me think of this idea of like there are different kinds of failure where on the there's like there is narrative failure and there is like mechanical failure where mechanical failure to me is like if you you know break your thieves tools opening the chests you know like what are your other options you can smash the chest you can blow the chest up but like you know like there are there are a limited number of routes you can take to open a chest or unlock a door or get over a wall like if you fail to climb the wall that's that you're not getting over the wall and that to me is like mechanical failure and that to me as a player feels like a roadblock it's like i couldn't solve this simple task (laughs) now i can't get into the place i need to get into that's okay bye like i guess i'll just walk away from this building or wherever i am because i don't see a way around that beyond the simple whereas like narrative failure where you know you have been placed in a a situation of like diplomacy or combat or what have you where your character's decisions or your character's success at a like you know putting the Indiana Jones thing on the altar or you know collecting all of the shards of some magical sword your ability to do that in a tense situation does affect the narrative and failure in that moment doesn't feel like I failed to solve a very simple problem it's like ah dang we just didn't succeed today I'm very excited to see where this narrative takes me right I think I think that that is where it's like I'm very comfortable with failure in a narrative sense and I get very frustrated with failure in a mechanical sense like my character should be able to open the fucking door if it doesn't matter if the door is locked or not you know but like my character being able to succeed or fail at like saving a person's life that has really high stakes and really high impact where the door does not and also I think a lot of it has to do with you know like telegraphing as a DM um, because you know sometimes you have to get over that wall somehow in order to move the story forward or you think that's what has to happen in order to move the story forward and I think a good DM will like help present other solutions which I think is kind of interesting I think also thinking about that too, I remember reading in the DMs guide that there was that all good DMs should plan like two or three solutions to any problem that they present the players. And obviously your players are going to find very unique and interesting ways around those problems that you would not have anticipated. I I think what makes D&D different from, you know, reading a fantasy novel or what have you is the fact that there is more than one solution to certain problems or there's more than one outcome that can happen that then affects the narrative which I think is what makes it interesting and I think that's what I like about failing forward. No I agree completely and I think that to that point if your player characters have to get into somewhere in order for the plot to progress or what have you just let them get in however they're gonna get in you know like I, I don't I don't see it's it's the it's the question of like why is the door locked you know like what what does this present to the characters if it's just a problem to solve 
and then they fail to solve it, but your plot is relying on them being able to get in that door a certain way, don't lock it or make it really easy to unlock. Like, I think, I think that that's something that, like, is, is difficult to balance, and I think it depends on the DM, too. You know, there are DMs who it's, like, super hardcore, every decision you make matters, like, from the color of your familiar to, like, what you wear, and, like, you know, you, you have to make these really specific decisions. I had a DM who we had to roll for everything. Every sentence that came out of our mouth, we had to roll a persuasion check, and if we rolled low, we were not gonna get information out of this person, even if they had been talking to us up to that point and that is like the polar opposite of how I DM where I'm like if you talk to these NPCs and you say the magic word to unlock whatever weird trauma they have they'll share it with you like it's and so I think that there are two different ways to approach this and it does come down to what do you enjoy more do you enjoy the challenge of mechanical failure and trying to find you know a hundred thousand ways to unlock that door or do you enjoy the sort of streamlined narrative based talk to this person and maybe they'll talk to you you know like I, and I don't negate roles like people still have to roll in my games but I do remove a level of quote-unquote problem solving because in my mind problem solving doesn't always have to come with random chance like if your character is capable of climbing a wall they can climb the wall. I don't care. However they get into the castle, fine by me. And there's a balance to strike too because you don't want to negate certain skills for certain classes, mechanically speaking, like things like reliable talent or the fact that monks can run up walls at a certain level. You know, like there there are those things built in to negate and like sort of mitigate some of those factors and you don't want to devalue them in any way. However, there are sacrifices that have to be made in order to play D&D. And I think it just comes down to what kind of style of DMing or what kind of style of play is enjoyable for the most people at that table. Absolutely. And I think it depends on the makeup of the party, too. I, I have had the wonderful privilege of being able to sit at the same table with the same people for numerous years and play multiple campaigns and complete them over the course of those years. And we never bring the same party composition to the table. And... RDM adjusts everything accordingly. If we have a, a, a party of complete, we are all spellcasters, combat is different for us than it would be if the three of us were all playing barbarians and fighters. Like, mm -hmm. he is very good about adjusting the challenges presented to us to be ones that our characters are suited to solve, which I think is, is really a, a beautiful thing. <laughs> and I appreciate it endlessly. What this all boils down to for me is the feeling of agency that players have in this game and I specifically say players because the dice make decisions for the characters and the characters don't necessarily have agency in those decisions that's what makes it fun for me but again like I still like feeling that agency as a player mm -hmm. absolutely I I have described my DMing style and I think generally how I also play as a player at most of my tables as well is this idea of I grant what I hope to my players feels like 100% complete agency within the narrative and in exchange for doing that they agree to honor the world and the story that I have set forward for them like this is a, this is a sense of you know you can choose to do whatever you want and I will let you do whatever you want but if I put something in front of you that is so clearly like a plot hook for your character and you say fuck that and turn around and walk into a different country like mm -hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's kind of shitty <laughs> to do that to a right. DM. And and I think that you know there are people who would disagree with me on that and be like, nah, the, the player is king. I'm like, yeah, sure. And I will adjust my campaign accordingly to do what these players want it to do. But it's like your character is an agent in this story, and I'm going to give them a reason to want to stay. And you as a person and a player agree to follow and honor whatever that is and that's something that like the the players and the characters have given me i'm not like making it up for them and i as a player at your table find it very rewarding <laughs> i'm so glad <laughs> which is really nice but i i also know you and i have very very similar ideas on like what we like about story and what uh, what enjoyment we get out of the game and also you raised me at your table so <laughs> i did <laughs> i have i have groomed you to be exactly the kind of player that <laughs> jives with what i do as a dm <laughs> But I think, you know, what you were saying leads really nicely into sort of the next question that we have laid out, which is what makes failure frightening as a DM? Yeah, absolutely. I think for me as a DM, there are moments or things that I am like, okay, you know, here is X, Y, or Z thing that absolutely has to happen. (laughs) These people need to go here or meet this person or achieve X, Y, or Z. And then I'm like, okay, roll for it. And then they roll bad and I'm like, oh, shit. What do I do now? Like, I have to honor this role, but I need to get this information into their hands or I absolutely have to have them ask this question. And I think that that, that that's the thing is it's this like the the thing that makes failure so scary is that it happens when you're not anticipating that it will happen. And then you have to very quickly reroute or like redesign or get this information to your players in another way that feels like you are honoring the dice roll and also their decisions. And I think it comes down to player agency as well. One of the best pieces of DM advice I've heard um, is from uh, Brian Murphy. Uh, he DMs NADPOD, is on D20, um, all that good jazz. But he makes a point to say, if something has to happen in the narrative, don't leave it up to a dice roll. Yeah, absolutely. But in that, there is that balance. Again, like we're talking about player agency, we want to, the whole point of playing a game is to create these new and interesting stories that multiple people have a part in and that includes the dice otherwise you're just reading a book so again it's striking that balance and I think it all comes down to what you were saying too about the sort of like player contract that you have whether that's explicit or implicit with your dm where they at some point you know their style and you know what they're offering you and what you can offer them in return and it ends up being this really nice synergy if you get it if you find that but yeah it it, it is it's such a tricky balance and i think it's really interesting we have this episode titled failure in dnd but we're talking about the structure of the game more than anything else I really, really vibe with the the Brian Murphy quote because I think that like it's true. If it has to happen, just have it happen. Like there's there's no there's no reason for um for it not to just work. But I think to that end, if what has to happen is like this player character has to die or like this blah blah blah, blah over here has to do this, like you can't make those decisions for your players. Like if if there is something that it's like they have to have this information or this specific event needs to go off in order to trigger them to continue to move forward, then yes. If what has to happen is a deliberate like roadblock or you are removing your player's agency from them, I, I, I do not condone that. <laughs> like at all. The players still need to feel in charge and like they are driving the narrative because they are. And if they're not, if this story could happen without your party it's not a campaign 
Like, I, I, I cannot say that enough. I am going to be a bitch about this for a second. If your player characters are not given enough reason and enough personal motivation to want to be a part of the narrative, if there is not something to keep them there, if the events of this campaign would happen the exact same way that they are going to happen with or without your players, you are not running a D&D campaign. Go write a book. That was rude, but I stand by it. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you there. And I think there's a way, there's like so many good stories that have made great D&D campaigns, but the opposite is true as well. There are so many D&D campaigns where I'm like, I really wish this had been a story that I could have read because, and not just like a, I think, you know, it's about what story suits the medium. You can sense frustration in players when what they are doing and what they are saying and the choices that they make don't really matter. Like when when the wheels of fate and the cogs of narrative are just going to continue to turn and spin without them, they don't want to be there. It's not fun. Like it it isn't rewarding to be a player at a table where it's like no matter what I decide, things are going to go exactly this way. Like it's it's and that's and that's another scary thing about <laughs> like failure as a DM is it's like uh how do I make these wheels continue to turn while including, you know, the cogs of my players and allowing so those cogs to sometimes be dysfunctional. It's it's hard. I I will not say that it is not hard. And it's really interesting too because I've been DMing mostly out of modules, so that experience is really fascinating to me where it's like, okay, I want to keep honoring player agency because that is obviously what I need to do but this is a pre-written story and certain things need to happen but the thing is the players know that we're playing a module so there is some sort of regulation in that story as well where you know if you enter into a game like Curse of Strahd or Dragon Heist or whatever you're playing there is this understanding of like there is a narrative that is already laid out we're gonna discover it together but you know again there is that social contract of like hey like we're giving up a little bit of player agency for the sake of this story. Mm -hmm, absolutely I, using the modules is a great example of exactly what I was talking about of this like you have 100% complete agency within this story but there is a narrative and you agree to follow it like a module is a great example of that and I think too to my point about like you know if the events of this campaign are going to unwind exactly as they're going to unwind with or without the players like you could look at a module and be like well what about this you know it's like the the events in the module don't start until the players get there exactly Waterdeep or Barovia or like Baldur's Gate stay static until you put players in there and let them start knocking dominoes over like that's how it works <laughs> if your campaign is like you know Joe Schmo the rogue over here is just gonna go do his thing while the party does something completely different and what Joe Schmo is doing is more important than what the party's doing wrong <laughs> don't do that we're playing D&D &D to play main characters you know oh absolutely ways. yeah if, if I'm not the coolest person here <laughs> <laughs> Let me do cool things. Let me be hot. I want to I just want to be hot and do cool things. That's all. Is that so much to ask? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So how how would you quantify like how do we make use of this idea of failing forward? I think what the um what we read out earlier has a really good way of explaining that where like every decision they that the players make is meaningful in some way and I think that meaning can be different I think it can be something as simple as it's really funny you know if somebody rolls a crit fail in a certain situation you can make it really funny and that can be its whole purpose that's okay <laughs> 
humor can be a reason in and of itself. Like it doesn't have to be a big thing, but I think, you know, having multiple solutions or multiple ways of moving forward in the narrative already in your head as options to offer player characters if, you know, one of them doesn't work out is a great way of doing that. I think, you know, making things humorous is another great way of making failure meaningful and fun. I think it's about making failure fun. Um, But the other thing too is having that failure echo. The narrative will change with, with each and every role that is made. And I think failing forward is having fun with that narrative. I think for me, I very rarely have a set plan or a solution to any problem I put in front of my players. It is always like, here is a situation, here is a conflict or, you know, some problem to solve. And I have absolutely no plan (laughs) in my (laughs) mind of how they are going to solve it. And for me, that then leaves my mind open to however they do approach it. I am not butting up against my preconceived idea of how they needed to go about that or what the quote unquote best way to solve this problem would be. So I don't I don't have to like erase that from my mind and then quickly reroute and like, oh no, my players are breaking my game. It's like here is a giant slug. It's in your way. Do something about it. Like, I don't, I don't, I genuinely, however you want to get rid of the slug, if you want to be its friend, if you want to pour salt on it, do what you got to do. And I will then narrate that. And I think what comes out the other end sometimes is like, the players have no idea <laughs> how, how much work my brain is doing to just kind of like, dee, 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 like go down all of these different, like when you get to the end of the campaign, you're like, wow, that couldn't have happened any other way. And it's like, it could have happened a thousand different ways. And it's so beautiful. And I love that. And I think that that's like, I, this, this quote from this article that is like, not everything has to be prevented or caused by the characters, but failing forward means that none of their own actions are inconsequential, is like exactly that. It is, the characters are driving the story, however they want to solve the problems, they solve the problems, and that has this ripple effect. I like the word that you use, echoes. Like, the failure or the success echoes throughout the rest of the campaign, and I think that like, looking back down the railroad tracks, or you know, like you don't see the turns that get taken, you don't see those switches that get flipped to put you on a different route, but the higher up you go, the more you see this sort of like, um, network spread out around you. It's it's not a railroad, it is like a rail system, and you follow these different routes, and I, th- I th- this is a terrible metaphor. <laughs> I feel like I got lost in the sauce there for a second, but I I think that failing forward is um, necessary in order to tell the best story you possibly can and have that story feel rewarding to the players and have them feel like they really did play a part in the way that things happened. Yeah. Everything you said, beautiful. Put it on a poster. Like, oh. <laughs> no, I absolutely agree. And... I think it really boils down to, because there are obviously a billion different ways that you can accomplish this, and there are so many different ways to play D&D or play any sort of tabletop game. And I think what's important about all of that is understanding each other as you go into that game, because it's collaborative storytelling. That is what D&D is. That is what it's all about. If that storytelling for you is, you know, doing everyday things, having a job, going, you know, goblin hunting and coming back to the tavern at the end of the day, that's great. Love that for you. (laughs) But 
understand what kind of story is being told with your players and with your DM and then I think failure feels good in that way and the way that it doesn't in real life. I think failure for me is fun when my failure is meaningful. When I, you know, fail to save someone's life in combat or, you know, fail to negotiate some sort of peace contract or fail to, um, you know, do something that I that I implicitly as someone who is outside of the narrative can look at and see, oh, this is going to have consequences like the butterfly is appearing on the screen. Like that is fun to me. It makes me feel like like I have agency and control and that I'm impacting this world when when I can't see that the actions that I take have consequences succeed or fail that's it's not even fun to succeed in that sense if it doesn't matter if I unlock this door and open it and find out what's on the other side why is it there you know like if if it doesn't matter if I succeed or if I fail then I then I don't want to do it <laughs> you know like it's it's fun for me succeed or fail when I know that this is it's those echoes again like when when my choices echo throughout the rest of the campaign that's fun for me I don't care if I win or if I quote unquote lose <laughs> the only way to win D&D is to have fun exactly A cauldron of abilities more overpowered than Divine Smite. It's Witch's Homebrew. Okay, for Witch's Homebrew today, uh, we have a homebrew background from D&D Wiki, the Cattle Rustler. <laughs> uh, so here is a description. You lived in the shadows, raiding farmers and shepherds in the dead of night. What made you choose this path of crime? Did you notice the abundance of unprotected livestock around you? Did you notice you had a certain knack for smuggling animals in the darkness? Cattle rustlers are stealthy and quiet. They operate unseen and unheard. Uh, for skill proficiencies, you get stealth and animal handling, <laughs> which is so funny to me for some reason. <laughs> Uh, tool proficiencies, thieves tools, uh, you get one language of your choice. For equipment, a black cloak, a hempen rope, and a chain. Uh, and then your feature is called quick getaway, and it is you always know like the quickest escape route out of any building <laughs> should things turn south, which is so good. Beautiful. Uh, Olivia, what do you like about this background? <laughs> Did you pick this specially for me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, but also a little. Um, I love westerns. Love westerns. Love them. As a story, absolutely brilliant. Um, problematic, of course. Understand that. But just the whole aesthetic, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> I I think the vibes are immaculate. Just perfect. Um, I do this is such an interesting I just can't believe somebody came up with this and was just like, hey, you know what's missing from D D backgrounds? It's the it's the cattle rustler. Yep, the <laughs> like cattle it's, rustler. It's so specific. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what I like about it, is it's like this is not like, oh, you know, I was an outlander or an adventurer or, you know, a folk hero where it's kinda like you fill in the gaps. This is like you stole cows. Yep. <laughs> that's what you did for a living up until this point. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. I would want to make a character that it has the background of cattle rustler from an environment that is completely opposite. I think that would be hilarious. Like, are you a cattle rustler for like ice cows? I don't know. It's great. <laughs> my 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 brain went to like octopus farming for some reason. Like, <laughs> I feel like octopuses one would be octopi would be hard to farm because they're too smart 
but also hard to steal mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're too smart. Like, you put that sucker in a jar, it's just going to get right out of there. But can you imagine a cattle rustler that's an octopus rustler that just has, like, a belt full of jars? <laughs> they just capture octopi in them oh my God. and uh, run around like that. I just, who came up with this and why? Like, I want to know. I want to meet the person behind this background, please. It's 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 very good. Is there is there anything that you would add or adjust? Um, I don't know. Because I agree stealth and animal handling are the ones to do. I think it would be kind of nice to have a choice in a couple of them. Mm, yeah, some options. And I honestly don't know how I feel about the balance of Quick Getaway. Because... Like, it's a little different than, like, the urchin background where they have the ability to navigate through the city faster, like, slightly faster than other people. That makes sense to me, whereas, like, the quick getaway, like, that could end up being really unbalanced and really difficult for the DM to handle. Oh, for sure. It could be super powerful or it could be, like, never useful. It, it And that's the thing that's so fascinating to me about D&D and, like, balancing homebrew stuff. Um, as <laughs> someone who has uh, homebrewed quite a lot of spells and had them used against me uh, to, to great effect, it is, like, there is no accounting for player creativity. Like, the idea of the quick getaway in the right, or potentially depending on how you feel wrong hands uh like it could be incredibly powerful and i think that it's it would be interesting to see it in the hands of a bunch of different players and a bunch of different campaigns and see how it really does shake out because it does feel like something that could be really useful in combat really useful in combat really useful if you get captured like all this good stuff yeah and i i and it just happens that's the thing that i love about a feature is it's like this is just a fact for your character like you are guaranteed to know the quickest escape route out of any building uh your DM cannot argue this fact. <laughs> so I, I think that does take away some of the fun of some of the problems and situations. Um, I, as a player, like to figure those things out for myself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, I, I think that I and this is the thing is that I don't know how I would retool that. I think I would have to see it um, in action to get an idea of like how players are interpreting and using it in order to adjust it. But I do agree that there's there's potential there for sure. Yep. <laughs> I enjoyed this background. I now want to play a Western campaign. Mm, Delicious. Maybe I'll DM one of those. (laughs) I also love Westerns. Oh, would you? C-R-E-E-C-H-U-R, Creature Corner. I will now present the creature. I'm bringing it on on a ring bearer pillow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that image is so visceral in my mind. I, <laughs> I am a little boy who has been co-opted and a little scared walking down the aisle bringing this black pudding on a pillow. It's so beautiful. (laughs) It's really not. The description itself says, The black pudding is an ooze that resembles a bubbling heap of black goo. It's corrosive. It can squeeze through narrow spaces. It can spider climb. It can whack you with a pseudopod that destroys your armor. It splits into new puddings if you hit it with slashing damage. Is there anything a black pudding can't do? (laughs) Black pudding description courtesy me. (laughs) Yeah. I... About halfway through reading that, I was like, ah, Laurel wrote this herself. Yes, I did. 
I like oozes, okay? So, Laurel, first impressions of the black pudding. Um, I love a black pudding. I love an ooze, as stated. There's something about oozes that is just so fundamentally D&D to me that I, I can't help but love them. They're so disgustingly funny and stupid. It's like, what's the point of an ooze? It's just a big, like a gelatinous cube. Is there anything more wonderful than a gelatinous cube? Riddle me that. And I think the thing about the black pudding that cracks me up is like, it's it's called a black pudding. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like... Isn't it like an English dessert or something? Uh, a black pudding is a distinct, like, regional type of blood sausage in Great Britain and Ireland. So it's like, I think it's made from um, pork or beef blood with, like, fat. It's, it's, it's like the, the worst possible sausage <laughs> you can imagine. And I think that, like, by naming this creature a black pudding, it's kind of like, oh fun like it it feels a little more um it feels a lot less threatening than it actually is like this thing this thing can hurt you really really quite severely and that's that's the thing about like my first impression of the black ooze that i love the most is that it's like on the surface it's like oh well that's not a threat because it's called the black pudding and then like two minutes later like your armor is disintegrated and you are dying and there's 800 oozes around you because all you have is a sword Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're just like ah Ah, uh, it's too good. It's too good. I mean, yes. To all of that, yes. Also, I just really like the idea of a non-sentient combatant. Yeah. <laughs> just fight, snow brain. Just fight. <laughs> right, exactly. It just exists. It's like if 50s housewives came up with an enemy for you. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, here's this jello that you have to eat. Here's this black pudding that you have to whack with a stick till it stops moving. Yeah. <laughs> It will not stop. Only kill. Like the the concept of like, you know, like this thing that moves around and actually comes after you instead of just being there. Terrifying. It feels very uh, video game enemy. You know, like if you're Mario wandering through Bowser's castle mm-hmm. and there's like, you know, these spiky guys that fall from the ceiling and like ghosts and, you know, little dry bones hanging around. It's like the purpose of that thing. It's just there to hurt you. Like it's just there to kill you. All it does is kill. <laughs> Right. But it exists independent of you just in the world. And that's hilarious to me. Like the idea that there's like a Bowser's castle or, you know, a swamp of black puddings that it's just like they're just there and they're just vibing. But the second you walk in, it is kill mode activate and you are you are going to fight these things until you die. Guilt free combat. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. Honestly. Does the black pudding pass your vibe check? Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I don't I don't see any way that it possibly couldn't. I don't mm-hmm. know how you can look at a black goo being brought in on a velvety cushion and think, I don't I don't love that. You just you just <laughs> got a vibe. You have to love it. Um, do you have any ideas for a, a fanciful use for the black pudding? I liked your idea of a full swamp full of black pudding. Ooh, I yeah. live in Florida, so I'm kind of already there. So <laughs> kill swamp. Yep. I, I feel like there is potentially. Ooh, what if it was? No, that feels too grim. I was going to suggest fossil fuels. But <laughs> ooh, now I we're getting into fern gully bullshit. Yeah. I, ooh, oh, no, we can't go to fern gully because the, the goo monster in that is uh, like a, a dilf. So um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe what? Let me rephrase that. I, I'm going to change that from Dilf to, like, Tumblr sexy man. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's not very Dilfy in reality, but he is no. very Tumblr sexy man. God. Which is now a blocked tag on Tumblr. <laughs> Wild. The internet these days. 
It's a uh, poison. Like a black pudding. So inspiration. Laurel. Calling you up to the front of the classroom. Here I come with my little box of rocks from home. Bring it on the same ring bear pillow. <laughs> yeah, it's covered in black goo. Um, for inspiration this week, I uh, wanted to talk about a just an absolutely wonderful conversation that I had with one of my players at my table for a campaign that I'm currently DMing. She messaged me and she was like, hey, I was chatting with one of the other players and I've, I've been informed of all of this lore about the world that I didn't know. And like, I want to make some changes to my character. Like, I just feel like I didn't have like a grasp on things. And I was like, yeah, OK, totally good. And then we sat on the phone for like literally an hour and a half. <laughs> Just like talking about um, the campaign and her character and the world and the lore and like religion is a huge part of like this campaign like gods and goddesses feature quite heavily in it and so we were talking about you know like her character's relationship to these gods and like what these gods are like etc and it was just like one so rewarding to me that she felt like hey I want to make changes to my character to fit your campaign better can we chat about it and felt comfortable coming to me and talking to me about it but then also like we had so much fun <laughs> like I had such a great time talking to her on the phone and it was just like I think we both left that conversation just being like ah, that was so fun I love this game I love D&D <laughs> and like it meant so much to me to have someone care enough about this world that I'd created and this like game that I'm running to want to um, engage with it in this like deeper meaningful way I I loved it to bits I will treasure that memory forever <laughs> Thank you, dear listener, for lending your ears. May the stories you tell be grand and humble in equal measure. May the characters you meet be brimming with adventure. And may the chances you take lead to some natural twenties.